Rabbi, no matter what I say or do, I just can't seem to be able to communicate with my teenagers at home. It seems like somehow or other we have some sort of a communication gap where I'm talking AM and they're talking FM. We're just totally on different frequencies. Rabbi, I have a sister who somehow or other fell into the clutches of the back streets of America and somehow is today dating a goy. Can you speak to her for me? I tried, but I got nowhere. Rabbi, I have a brother who used to keep Shabbat and I poured my heart out, but somehow when it came to that right moment, all the wrong words came out. I just don't know what to say. Can you speak to him for me? Well, tonight we have special encouraging words for all those who don't believe or think that they're capable of communicating or influencing the message of Abu Dat Hashem. Because you're not alone. Take a look at this week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu. You see, Moshe also thought that his message was falling on deaf ears. Moshe Rabbeinu comes before Borei Olam in this week's parasha. He says, Borei Olam, not even Am Yisrael is listening to me. Paro. So how do you expect, if my own people aren't listening to me, do you expect that Paro is going to listen to me? And besides, I have a speech impediment. Besides, I don't speak clearly. I'm not a good communicator. So how, boy, Olam, do you continue to send me on these missions of message and speech? I'm not the guy for the job. I'm Israel's not listening. Paro's definitely not going to listen. And I'm not a good speaker. The next pasuk. Boreolam says to Moshe Rabbeinu in return, Vayitzavem el b'nei Yisrael ve'el paro. Moshe, go and command. Tell the Jewish people, command paro. It's time. Let my people go. Now when you read these psukim, you think for a moment, did, did Boreolam completely ignore Moshe's question? Moshe had a good question. If his own people aren't listening to him, how's Paro going to listen to him? And he's Aral Sifataim. He doesn't speak clearly. He has a speech impediment. So Hashem completely ignores that point and simply just goes on business, business as usual and says to Moshe, go tell Paro, it's time for my people to go. Hashem didn't answer Moshe. Hasri Shalom. Boreolam did not and would never Ignore Moshe Rabbeinu. But we need Rashi. We need Rashi to come along and open up our eyes and our ears to what's really going on here. Because you see, when we take a look in Rashi, Rashi Vaitzavem el Bnei Yisrael, I'd like to read you the eloquent and beautiful words of Rashi. Rashi says, Vaitzavem el Bnei Yisrael, listen to these words. Tsiva alehem lahanhigam benahat velizbol otam. Hashem told Moshe, I want you to have patience with Am Yisrael. I want you to continue to show them tremendous love and care. Such warming words. 
But how does that explain or answer what we need to answer? And the truth is, says the Be'er Shemuel, a magnificent shot. Says Be'er Shemuel, you're going to come across in life, there are two types of rabbis, there are two types of rebbies, two types of teachers, two types of speakers. You're going to have one speaker who has that perfect speaker voice. The voice that you hear sometimes on the radio. The voice that you say, I'd love to patent that voice. The James Earl Jones voice. Right? Simba, right? The voice. And at the same time, you'll have a speaker that not only has that perfect voice, but has a magnificent presentation. A speaker that has excellent eye contact. Eloquent words. A speaker that truly has beautiful speeches that when people leave the speech, they look at each other and they say, Wow, now that was a speech. But that speaker is what we call a podium speaker. And the reason is, is because once the speech is over, this particular speaker has no contact, no relationship with the people that come to hear the shiurim. It's simply a Jewish Broadway. They come in, they hear a wow, and they go home getting their money's worth. However, there is another speaker. There's another speaker that maybe his words might not be as eloquent. Another speaker that his words is not as polished, might not be as polished at all. But simply this speaker has the ability to convey a real feeling of I care. This is what we would call a speaker from the heart. Someone who has the ability to literally place their heart out in front of you on a platter and reach deep into the hearts of the listeners, of the people there. Dvarim hayotzim in halev, nichnasim lalev. Words that come out from the heart. They go directly into the heart of others. Now, it's very interesting because this speaker, the one who speaks from the heart, who emanates such a heartfelt feeling, such a powerful message, that speaker has the ability to influence others in a very special way. Not through the power of speech necessarily, but through the power of heart. You see, because the first speaker speaks to the ears of people, while the second speaker speaks to the heart of people. Someone who speaks from the heart. Dvarim hayotsim in halev, nichnasim yashir, directly, lalev, straight into the heart of others. This is exactly what Borei Olam was answering Moshe Rabbein. Moshe, you're so worried. You're saying that Am Yisrael is not even listening to you. How is Paro going to listen to you? You are Aral Sifataim. Says Borei Olam, I know. I know that clearly. But that's exactly why I want you to speak. You see, because I don't want Am Yisrael to hear eloquent and beautiful words. I don't want a leader that's going to speak to their ears. I dafka want you, the non-eloquent speaker, the one that totally speaks from the heart. Because I don't want you to speak to their ears. They didn't hear you, Moshe? Good. I didn't want them to hear you with their ears. 
I wanted them to feel you with their heart. You think they don't hear you. And you're right, with their ears they don't. Oh, but with their hearts. With their hearts they can soak up every word and they can carry it with them. They can carry it with them for generations to come. That's the answer. Lahanhigam benachat, says Rush. That's your answer, Moshe. I don't want them to hear you with their ears. I want you to continue to have patience and love and care for them so that your words won't go into their ears. I want the words to go straight into their hearts. That's the manhigam am Yisrael. I think one of the most moving and clearly one of the most famous stories of the great Hafez Chaim, Zechet Sadiq Levracha, a story that made its way around the yeshiva world. And this is a story that truly is carried with great pride by the great Bnei HaYeshiva. This is a story that took place in the yeshiva of Radin, the yeshiva of Hafez Chaim. Where there in Radim, there was a boy that was grappling with his faith of Hashem. There was a boy that was grappling with Shmirat Shabbat. This boy was caught on Shabbat, hiding somewhere in the dormitory, smoking a cigarette on Shabbat in Radim. Now this is Radim. This is one of the greatest yeshivot in Europe of its time. But you see that they also had those that they had to open up and help in Am Yisrael. There were teenagers then as well. Not to compare, no question. Their generation was far greater than ours. But nonetheless, there was one Bachur who was grappling with Shmirat Shabbat. And he was caught on Shabbat in the dormitory smoking a cigarette. So right away, right away, many of the Rabbanim said, Throw him out! Mahalel Shabbat in a yeshiva on Shabbat with a cigarette throw him out word got to the Hafez Chaim Hafez Chaim called the boy in Hafez Chaim sat the boy down in front of him Hafez Chaim took the boy's hand in his hands and he began to rub the boy's hand with such love and warmth and he began to cry such an emotional, bitter tears, crying hysterically. And all he said was, Shabbos. Ay, Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Rubbing the boy's hand. Just looking at the boy, tears streaming down the angelic face of the Hafez Chaim, rubbing his hand. And he looked in the boy's eyes with tears. And he's crying, Shabbos. It took only moments for this boy to break down crying this way. It took only moments for this boy to stand up and to promise Hafez Chaim that he never, never, ever has shalom desecrate the Holy Shabbat again. If there are those people out there who may one day hear this story and they too are grappling with Shabbat with the great Yetzer Hara of keeping stores open on Shabbat, the greater Yetzer Hara of thinking that by taking a Goy as a partner and getting some rabbi from outside of the community to write you a heter on the back of a 
box of cigarettes. Listen to this story. Close your eyes. And hear the words of the Hafez Chai. Shabbat. With tears. With love. Shabbat Kodesh is crying. Those are words that went straight to the heart. Believe me when I tell you, those words didn't even enter the boy's ears. Those words went straight to the neshama of this boy. Those words etched into the neshama of this boy. Shabbat Kodesh. Shabbat's crying. You desecrated her. Oh, how he broke down crying as well. I, I saw this. I saw this myself many, many years ago. And I tell you the truth, I, I think it's a little bit comical in a certain way. I was here in the community praying in one of the shuls, Vatikin, one early morning. And I see a guy walks into the shul, a guy that I personally haven't seen in almost five, six years. This was a guy that was with me, the original first group of Har Lebanon 11 years ago. When we started out with an 11th grade, 11 years ago, he was from that original group, and somehow or other, poof, a guy that just vanished into thin air. And I always wondered, what happened with this guy? Didn't see him, didn't hear from him. One day, he's gone. And sure enough, years later, he comes walking into a shul, and he walks right up to me. And I didn't recognize him. He has a little scrawny beard. He's wearing a hat, a jacket. He's holding his koracha, praying Vatikin in the morning. And I'm looking at him. True. I mean, we're talking, get ready, big English word, metamorphosis. He went from grasshopper. Grasshopper? No. Caterpillar, thank you. To butterfly. You had to see him. You had to see him. And I looked at him. He said, wow, look at you. What happened to you? He says, Rabbi, I'll talk to you after Tefillah. After Tefillah, comes over to me. He says to me, I just landed this morning. I came back from my third year in Israel. I said, really? Third year? In yeshiva, day and night learning? He says, yeah. I can't believe it. Now I understand. But tell me. Why did you go? Why'd you go? You know what he tells me? He says to me, you don't know? I said, no. He said, don't you remember four years ago, Purim? I said, I have a hard time remembering this past year, Purim. Four years ago, Purim? He says, well, let me tell you what happened. He says, you know, every year in the Minyan, we have this cute little minhag, you know, just to get the rabbi going a little bit pour some alcohol down him and see the funny stuff that comes out. And everyone lines up on a line, Purim, the whole minyan, and each guy comes for a biracha, laughing their heads off while the rabbi is stoned out of his mouth. One guy after the next. He says, I was standing on line. And there was one guy in front of me, and my turn was next. And he says, you grabbed this guy, and you started to shake him, and you were crying hysterically. And you were pleading with him. You were pleading with him to go to Israel to learn. And you told him that he was destined for greatness. And that he has a head. That Hashem gave him for Torah. 
And he's going to be something. And he says, I was standing behind that guy. And he says, those tears, he said, they went right into my heart. And I said to myself, one second, if this guy in front of me is going to go to Israel and learn, so am I. He says, that's it. I got my biracha that year. I took, a, I took a step right off the line. He said, the next night, the night after Purim, I bought a ticket and went to Israel. Now, I tell you, when I heard these words, my jaw dropped to the floor. I'm talking to one guy, and the other guy went to Israel. He said to me, those words went into my heart. And all night, I heard those words. I saw those tears. I was on a plane the next night. I tell you, no speeches. No. Dvarim hayotzim halev, nichnasim Says Rashi. Moshe, here's your answer. Yeah, they're not listening to you with their ears, but believe me, with your love and sensitivity, your words went straight into their hearts. Your words went straight to their hearts. It's interesting. As the heart has its own set of ears, the heart also has its own language. I'd like to explain to you what I mean. I heard a magnificent story from a Rebbe of mine when I was a very young boy in Yeshiva. He told over that a few hundred years ago, there was a great tzaddik in the town who had no children. And after many years and many heartfelt prayers, him and his wife finally was zochet to have a baby boy. Now this boy, right away, everyone was able to see was no typical baby. This baby, clearly a child prodigy, Immediately they saw that this child was brilliant, that this child was well advanced from the average child of, those, of that age. And the mother and the father, they were thanking Hashem every day for the gift of this child. Well, a few years passed, and word got out to the city that this rabbi and his wife, as a very gifted young child, a genius. Matter of fact, the word also reached the church. When the church heard that there was a young Jewish boy, a genius, they plotted to somehow or other get their hands on him. And they did. They sent two henchmen to stand outside the there one day. And right when the boy came out of yeshiva, they identified him, they grabbed him, kidnapped him, and brought him back to the monastery, to the church. And there they locked him up. Now the mother and father, not knowing what happened to their son, never came home from yeshiva that day. And they started a search. And the search went on for months, but to no avail. Till finally, one day, a goy comes knocking on their door. He says, I was just fired from the church. I'm a security guard. I want to tell you, now that I'm angry with them, I can let the secret out. Your son that you lost some months ago, he's still alive. He was kidnapped by the church. He's held in one of the top rooms in the church. The priest comes every day and teaches him the Christian Bible. They're brainwashing the child. When the father or the mother heard this, they were shaken to the court. They ran to the police. The police, do you have any evidence? Yes, we have an eyewitness. They brought the eyewitness. And with the eyewitness and the clout that the church had in this town, they decided to take it to court. And they're standing in front of a goy, a judge, a Christian. They pleaded their case for their kidnapped genius son.
a young boy. Well, the judge heard the case, heard the testimony of the eyewitness, and the judge turns to the priest and says, so what does the church have to say? Well, now the priest can't deny that the boy is there. So the priest says, yes, the boy is there. But the boy came to us on his own volition. He wanted to convert to Christianity. And you know that no soul who wants to convert to Christianity can we hold back. But it was by his own volition. Well, the judge turns to the parents. The parents are screaming, that's a lie, that's not true. Finally, the judge ordering the court. He says, okay, this is my decision. I'm going to allow you, the father and the mother, a half an hour to meet with your son in the church. In that half an hour, if you could convince your son to stand up and leave, to come home to you, then I'll let him go. And then he's coming home to you. However, if the boy emphatically, emphatically says no, he wants to stay there, then you have to honor his wishes. And never can you bring the church to court again. Well, the mother and father sees this as their own shot, the only shot. What choice did they have? So they agreed. And two days later, the date that they were going to go to the church to sit in front of their son, knowing that the church was going to spend the next two days completely brainwashing this young little boy, they turned to the tzaddik of the town and they said, please, please come with us. Please, somehow or other, help us to speak to the boy, to convince him to come home to his parents. By now, he was there for almost two years. They completely brainwashed him. Please, rabbi, come with us. The tzaddik, the rabbi, decided he's going to go with them. And that day came, and they came to the rabbi's house to pick him up. And the rabbi walked out of his house wearing his Yom Kippur kittel. Now, by the Ashkenazim, they wear what's called a kittel. It looks like a little bit like a jalabiyah. It's, it's a long white garment, completely in white. And there the rabbi is walking with this white kittel, Yom Kippur kittel, middle of the year. And he comes to the church all in white in his Yom Kippur garment. And he walks upstairs with the parents. They walk into the room. And there the young boy walks into the room. The parents look at the boy. And they start saying to him, Do you remember us? Look at us. But they see that the boy, he wasn't looking at them. He didn't want to make eye contact with them. They realize that they really did a job on this poor little Jewish boy. The rabbi tells to the parents, Shh. The rabbi pulls out a machzor of Yom Kippur. The rabbi stands up dressed in the white kittel of Yom Kippur and he begins to sing the Kal Nidre, the tune. And the more he sang, the more this boy began to shake. Till finally they saw a new expression on the boy's face. After the boy's listening to the tune of Kal Nidre, of Yom Kippur, and the boy finally jumps and says, Abba, get me out of here! They grabbed their son and they ran out of that church so fast. No, not words. Definitely not words aimed to the ears. That's not what I want, Moshe Rabbeinu. If I wanted that, I could have gotten a very eloquent speaker. I took you, Bidafka, someone who is Aral Sfatayim, to show that the Manhigim of Am Yisrael, it's not to the ears we speak, but we speak to the heart. To the heart. Well, 
I waited till about two minutes before this class to get permission to tell you what I'm about to tell you. And that's why I came in a little bit late. But it was worth the permission. Because I personally remember crazy, crazy, crazy story. But I had to get permission. I personally remember one Sunday morning two years ago that I got a call from a guy in my minyan and it was the middle of March and it was actually the week right before Purim and the guy calls me early Sunday morning and he says, Rabbi, I got to tell this to somebody. I can't think of anybody else I really wouldn't be embarrassed to tell this to, but I got to tell this to you. You got to hear this. I said, go ahead, tell me, what's up? He says, last night, Saturday night, you know, a bunch of friends got a hold of me. We made these crazy reservations in some club in the city. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the club because he said, I'm way too embarrassed to even tell you the name. But we made these sick reservations. This wild club in the city, Saturday night. And we were going. He says, but do you remember last night? For a joke, the Hazan by us in the Minyan, by our beat, he got up and he began to sing Kaddish with the tune of Rosh Hashanah. As a joke. It was the week before Purim. Who? He says, but as I sat there and I listened to the tune of Kaddish Rosh Hashanah, I got up after Arbit and I called my friends and I said, I can't go. I can't go. That tune didn't go through his ears, I guarantee you. That, that tune, like a guided missile, went straight to the neshama, to the heart of a person. And that's why I called my hazan this week and I told him, this coming Saturday night, right before people decide to go out to the white beaches of hell, to come back with the color of Gehenna, you are going to say the Kaddish of Rosh Hashanah. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe one person will hear that Kaddish of Rosh Hashanah and decide, maybe it's just not worth it. Who knows? And if you want to hear it, Fadalu, come. You'll hear it. The Kaddish Rosh Hashanah, what that can do to a person, what that can do to a Jew. It's not about the ears. It's all, it's all about the heart. Love them, care for them, patience with them. Talk to their heart. Because sometimes their ears are stuffed. Sometimes their minds are clogged due to the terrible galut and so many years that we're here. Sometimes you've got to bypass all those and you've got to go straight to the Makkah. You've got to speak straight to the heart. There was a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. I always wondered about this. Until once something happened to me that gave me a new clarity of it. And with that I'd like to kind of send you off tonight. Mishnah tells us, Amr Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Kol Every single day. But kol yotzet mehar chorev. A divine voice comes out from Har Sinai, nicknamed Har Chorev. Ummachrezet ve'omeret. And it announces, it declares, and it says to the world, Oilahem, 
Woe is to those, me'el Torah. Woe are to those who are wasting their time, their precious growth of Avodat Hashem, not doing anything with their lives, not growing in Avodat Hashem. Get a hold of yourselves. And this is a voice that comes out kolyom, every single day. And this is Rabbi Shua ben Levi. Ah, I would be able to have the time to tell you what the Gemaran Kitubot spoke about Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. He, the one that was able to go up to Shamayim and to walk around to see his place. And the Malachamavit wasn't able to touch him. We're not talking about... We're talking about Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. And this Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi says, Every day, a divine voice cries out from Har Sinai. Ay, the Torah, the mitzvot, are we growing? Are we doing what we should be doing? Do we have direction in our life? Are we fulfilling the purpose and the mission we were put here to do? Every day that voice cries out. Can I ask you a question? If that voice cries out every day, have you heard that voice lately? So where is it? How come we don't hear it? And the answer is, you're right. With your ears, you don't hear it. But with the heart, every day. There's a certain feeling inside a Jew, every day. A feeling that says, ah, I could have prayed a better shachrit. I cut it short, I was rushing for work. Tomorrow I'm going to go wake up earlier and pray the way you're supposed to pray. Look at that, my friends, they're waking up 5 o'clock in the morning and learning with chavrutot, and I'm a bum. Now I'm waking up at 9.30 and complaining, throwing on my tefillin, swallowing down the first pasuk of Shema, running off to the train. What's going to be with me? Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and learn. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and pray. Ay, how much Lashon Harai just spoke. By hanging up the phone, I realized that I picked up the judgment in heaven on myself, God forbid. All that Lashon Harai just spoke. Why can't I control myself? You know what? It's time. Time to start getting onto that text message list to get those halachot every night. Even if I don't read them, it's a reminder every night. Shmirat halashon. Even that has an effect on a person. Shmirat halashon. And we tend to stop a minute and think before we speak. What's going to be with me? Am I doing what I was meant to do in this world? Where are these feelings coming from? You want to know where these feelings are coming from? They're coming from the batkol that emanates from Har Sinai every day. Although with your ears you can't hear it, but your heart echoes that calling every single day. And when there's that moment of inspiration during the day where you tend to look at yourself and ask yourself, why aren't I better? Let me do better. That's the cause of the hearing of that divine voice through your heart. My, my son, my only son, my beloved son, Yitzchak Zev, who I know I've spoken about in the past, who every day I pray to Hashem,
Anyways, my Yitzhak Zev, who two years ago showed up to playgroup one day, and there a new boy came to class, but he didn't really look like the other boys in the class. It was a boy that had these funny-looking tubes coming out of his ears, a little boy shorter than the rest, very meek, probably was a preemie baby, a boy that we were told at one point had a certain sickness that comes and goes, a poor little boy. But when we found out that he was deaf, we asked the teacher, how is it that the boys communicate with him? And she says, well, this boy does read lips, but the truth is, he doesn't really communicate with anyone except your son. I said, really? So I, I, I turned to Yitzhak Zev and I said, Yitzhak Zev, you learned sign language? How do you communicate with this boy? And he looks at him and says, I don't know. I just walk up to him. I sit down with him. We play with the trucks. We play with the cars. We build little things with the blocks. He's my friend. Okay. The mother called us up once. The mother of this boy. And she said, hi, I'm David's mother. The little boy's name was David. You know, the boy that's deaf. Yes, how are you? Well, apparently, according to the Morah, the only boy that plays with my son in class is your son. That means that my son has only one friend. And I have to be honest with you. He doesn't really have friends here where we live either. The neighbors, they stay away from him. So I think your Yitzchak Zev is the only friend that he has in the world. I said, wow. I said, well, I'm happy. I'm happy that Yitzhak Zev is playing with him and that he's playing with Yitzhak Zev and somehow or other, I don't know how they communicate between each other, but they understand each other perfectly. Well, she said, well, can I ask you a favor? Tomorrow, I'm going to be late. Would it be okay if my son comes over to your house after school to play with Yitzhak Zev? Said, Absolutely, it's our pleasure. And right after school the next day, this young little boy, David, with the, you know, the whole wires. I mean, my heart went out for this boy who really couldn't hear and I, I didn't know how we would get through to him, although the mother says that he reads lips. So, so be it. And the truth is, whatever we needed to tell him, we told Yitzhak Zev and he would tell him and he understood. And that's all it took. So, no problem. The boy came home that next day with Yitzhak Zev after school. Well, my wife turns to me and says to me, listen, the boys are a little bit bored. They played with all the toys already in the basement. So, there's a book that I need you to pick up for me from Barnes & Noble. Do you mind going over there and like this? You can take the boys out with you and they can get a little air. I said, okay, no problem. So she told me the book. I took my Yisrael Zev and little David. And we got into the car. We drove out down Route 9 to Barnes & Noble. And there I come into Barnes & Noble and I find quickly my wife's book and I'm on my way over to pay for it. And Yitzhak Zev gives me a little tug on my jacket. And he says, Abba, before we go, me and David, we love story time by Mora. Could you just read us a book before we go? I said, okay. Fine. Now, you know, in the back of Barnes & Noble, they have that little kitty section with these little tiny chairs. So I said, hey, pull up a chair. We pulled up a chair. Yitzhak Zev pulled down the book. I don't remember exactly what it was. Maybe Danny the Dinosaur with the Dinosaur or, you know, whatever those classics are. I don't remember from myself as a kid. Harry the Dirty Dog, right? The, dog, the book that got every little kid to take a shower. 
All those classics. He pulled down one of these books. And we sat down together. My Yitzhak on one side and little David on the other side. And they were both in front of me looking at me. I opened the book. And I began to read him the book. And they actually picked a good book. And I started getting a little bit into the book. And I wanted to make it a little bit interesting for them. So I started pulling out a few voices. Started dramatizing the book a little bit. Started ad-libbing a little bit, where the page only had three words, but somehow it kept going on and on and on with a story. And then suddenly I, I pick my head up, and I see that right behind Yitzhak Zev, there was another five kids sitting on the floor listening. There were another two sets of parents, two old ladies knitting, and an old man holding a coffee cup. I said, really? I said, Yitzhak Zev, we've got to sell our crowd here tonight. Shame we didn't call Rico on this one. So he looks up at me and he says, Keep going up. Keep going. So I uh, modestly, quickly finished off the end of the book. And that was it. Story time was done in Barnes and Noble for that day. Everyone had to go back to where they came from. And I quickly picked up Yitzhak and I said, Let's get out of here. And we ran out. And Yitzhak says, Abba, but we were moving the story. You didn't finish the story. I said, Okay, listen. I'm going to take you to Judaica Plaza. It's like an Eichler's down Coney Island Avenue. It's a Jewish Svarim store, but a big, beautiful one. And it has everything and anything of Judaica. And there, we went to the back of that store, a little bit more at home, and we sat down again in little miniature chairs. And this time, I said, go ahead, pick up a book. And sure enough, he pulls the book down of Yonah and the Whale. My favorite. So I said, give me a book. So I began to read in the book. And again, I started getting into the story. And then we started with the sound effects. And I said, it's Rezev, there was a storm. And the boat was rocking back and forth. And I started shaking their chairs back and forth. And they felt the breeze and the winds. And they were holding on. And the captain, aye, aye, captain. And they started screaming, captain, we're going to go down. And then Yonah stood up and said, this is because, this is because of me. And all of a sudden, it was quiet. I picked my head up and I saw there was four kids sitting there listening. Another two Hasidic kids behind me tugging me saying, no, 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 no. We continued and finished the story. I saw that David loved the book. I said, David, you want me to buy the book? He says, Zev turns, David, you want him to buy the book? Yes. Okay. So I bought him the book. You're now on the way. His mother came that afternoon. Picked David up with the book. They went home. And that was it. Now two months later, I get a call one night. And it's David's mother. She said, hi, Rabbi Ben Shushan. I know maybe this is a little bit out of line. I feel very terrible to ask you what I'm about to ask you. I cannot tell you how much this is going to mean to me. Hashem, you got to help me on this one. You know I'm not going to make it through this one without falling apart. So help me, please. Please, help me. Because he didn't throw this my way just to keep it to me. I know that. So help me. She says, David came down again with this particular sickness that he was fighting. And he's now in the hospital. And the doctors are very concerned. Could you do me a favor? You know that book that you bought him? Yonah and the Whale? Well, that book, every single night, he pulled it out from under his pillow. He'd read it. And then he put it back on the wrist pillow and he'd go to sleep every night. She said, today, I was in the hospital and I wanted to cheer him up. 
Now, of course, he brought the book along with him. So I pulled back the book and I started to read him the book. It was his favorite book. And David looked at me and said, in the way that he conversed with his mother, he somehow or other sent her the message, Ma, you don't read it like Yitzhak Zev's father. She says, you think you can come out? Whew. You think you can come out to the hospital to read it to him? I said, Shh. are you joking? An honor and a privilege. So me and Yitzhak Zev, we got into the car, we drove out to the hospital, we came in, and there was David on the, on the bed, and right when he saw me, he pulls out the book from underneath his pillow, and he's shaking the book. And I said, hi David, how are you? We came to read you the book. And I'm telling you, he was jumping up and down in his bed, he was clapping. He handed me the book. I started to read the book, with the voices and the yelling and the screaming and the sound effects and the ocean and the storm. And I, I came from beginning to end, and he was all into it. He was all into it. And as I'm finishing the book, I turn around and I see there are three nurses standing behind me. <laughs> I finished the book. And as I'm walking out, I turned to his mother and I said, Forgive me, but David reads lips. So, what, what's the difference if you read the book or if Anyone reads the book. There's no pronunciation. There's no sound. There's nothing but the movement of the lip and the word. And she says, I was also amazed. But he would not hear the book from me. He only wanted to hear it from the way he heard it the first time. Ah! And then I understood. It's not about the ears. It has nothing to do with the ears. The ears can be completely and absolutely shut off. We're talking to the heart. To the heart of that little boy. To the heart of Amisra. And therefore, if there are any Rebbe's that will ever hear this, any teachers that would ever hear this, although at times it looks like the students' ears are completely closed, and you get that feeling like, why am I doing this anyways? Nobody's listening to me. I'm not getting through to them. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I tell you, forget about the ears. Even when the ears are closed, even when the mind is stuffed, talk to the heart. Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest of the man, he gave of Am Yisrael with a speech impediment. It wasn't eloquent words. It was all heart. But that's the way we reach another Jew. That's the power of influence. That's Am Yisrael. Don't give up. Just redo your tactic. Bypass the ears. Go straight to the heart. That is where the success is. That is how we reach people. And Borei Olam. Ah! Have Rahmanut on us. That even when our ears are clogged and we don't hear you and our minds are clogged because of that Yetzirah. But don't stop sending the messages straight to our hearts. Every day. And there it is. And those are the messages. 
They're going to reach Am Yisrael. I'm going to continue the Hanhigam Benachat all the way to Biat Hagoel Amen.